Well, Jude begins this letter of introduction by introducing himself. Uh, his introduction includes his credentials. Uh, he states that he is a slave of Jesus Christ and that he is the brother of James. Now, James was the, le was the leader in the Jerusalem church, and using his name would have given credence and credibility to Jude's letter. Uh, next, Jude states to whom his letter is intended, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This letter was written to the church of Jesus Christ, and since all believers alive today are members of Christ's church, this letter is for us as well. After Jude introduced himself uh, and addresses his audience, he then prays a short prayer for them. He prays, may, per may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Then Jude quickly gets to the reason for his letter. Apparently, Jude was intending to write a letter uh, to them about their common salvation. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a different subject was to be addressed. Now, I've talked to many preachers that have told me that they don't want to preach things that they think may take away from the gospel message. Uh, they want to preach a salvation message because it is more important than theology or doctrine. They say that theology and doctrine are divisive subjects, and I would in part agree. Good theology and right doctrine do divide. They divide the sheep and the goats. A faulty understanding of God, theology, uh, causes bad doctrine, teaching. Yes, we should be excited to share the good news of salvation with everyone. We see that here in Jude's eagerness to write about salvation in his letter. However, Jude says that there is something of equal importance to the church that needs to be addressed. It involves something very divisive, and we are to fight for it. Let's read Jude 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Though Jude was eager to write to these believers, rejoicing in their common salvation in Jesus Christ, he was instead writing a letter of warning and a call to action. In verse 4, he says that certain people had crept into the church unnoticed and that the church must contend with them. Who are these certain people? What are their names? Jude never mentions their names. Without knowing their names, how is this church going to identify them? There are many instances in the New Testament where names of transgressor, transgressors are mentioned. In Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24, Luke records an encounter with a magician named Simon. Listen to this. But there was a certain man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. 
And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they, uh, excuse me, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that Hymenaeus and Alexander had made shipwreck of their faith. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul again makes mention of Hymenaeus, but this time with Philetus saying that these, may, that these men engage in irreverent battle that spreads like gangrene and that they have swerved from the truth. Also, in this same letter, Paul says that Alexander the coppersmith did him great harm. The Apostle John tells of uh, Diotrephes' wicked nonsense. We're close by. Just look right to the left, right there in, in 3 John. 3 John uh, verse 9. Let's read it. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense about us, and not contend, in, and, and not contend with that. Uh, he refuses to welcome brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. These and other places in the Bible are examples of publicly naming people that are living sinful lives. So I'm not saying that it is wrong to name names. But for some reason, Jude does not say who these false teachers are, only that they are certain people. Perhaps he did not know their names. Maybe their names were not well known, and Jude didn't want to give them any credibility by mentioning their names. Or maybe the hearers knew exactly who he was referring to, so there was no reason to even mention their names at all. Much like the Apostle Paul does when he never gives the names of the super apostles that he's battling with in 2 Corinthians. Whatever the reason Jude had for not naming these false teachers, we will never know. However, he did tell his audience what to look for in identifying these false teachers. First, Jude says that these teachers are stealthy. They try to keep their motives hidden from view. They are dishonest about who they really are. 
they crept into the church unnoticed. And this is what makes them so dangerous. It's not those outside the church who are waging war against the church or the, that are the most dangerous. In fact, this kind of warfare is what strengthens and builds the church. It actually helps uh, God's people to unite. Remember the persecution the early church went through. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel, and it only emboldened them to continue. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested for the many signs and wonders they were performing. In the middle of the night, they were set free by an angel of the Lord. They were quickly found the next morning because they were in the temple at daybreak preaching. They were once again arrested and brought before the council. When the high priest scolded them for disobeying the council's orders, Peter and the apostles answered like this, We must obey God rather than men. Then they proceeded to preach the gospel to the entire council. Listen to this in Acts, beginning, uh, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And you're welcome to turn there if you like. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are doing, uh, what you're about to do to these men. For behold, or excuse me, for before these days, uh, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew many away, uh, and many people followed after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Remember also the early deacon, Stephen, in Acts chapter 6. He was full of grace and power and did great signs and wonders among the people. Acts 6, 8. When those who debated with him could not withstand the wisdom of the spirit with which he was speaking, they began a smear campaign against him. They instigated men who accused Stephen of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Stephen was arrested and brought before the council. There he preached the good news of Jesus and was stoned to death. This outside trouble did not harm the church. It caused the church instead to spread like fire. There are countless accounts recorded in the Bible and in history that tell of the church being persecuted and it having the opposite effect than what the persecutors had planned. What I want us to see here is this. 
Jude was not telling the church to watch out for those who wish to persecute them. He was imploring them to be aware of false teachers that had snuck into the church, to watch out for those who wormed their way into the side door. In verse 19, he says this, that it is these who cause divisions. Jude does not tell his readers who these false teachers are who have crept into the church. So just how are his readers to identify him? Excuse me, to identify them. Jude goes to Scripture. He goes to Scripture to teach them what to look for. Let's look at Jude verses 5 through 11. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their dwelling, their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under the gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. In verse 5, Jude tells of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. His audience would have remembered that God had chosen this small, insignificant people as his own. And through this people, the Messiah would come into the world. This was to be God's people, to show his power and to show his glory. But they were instead slaves to Pharaoh and Egypt. So how or excuse me, so to show his great power and glory. God meticulously and utterly brings Pharaoh and Egypt to their knees by bringing plagues upon them and their land. Through Moses, God leads the people out of Egypt right into a wilderness. All along the way, God provides for these people in miraculous ways. Yet they begin to complain to Moses and grumble about God, doubting his power and love. Some of the Israelites begin to convince others that they knew what God wanted better than Moses and that he should be replaced. These complainers and grumblers who were causing divisions were killed off several times by God. An entire generation was not allowed to enter the promised land because they listened to unbelieving men rather than obey God. What Jude is saying is this. Not everyone who is among the church belongs to the church. Just because someone resembles a Christian doesn't mean that they are regenerated. The enemy is always sowing tares among the wheat. We must be aware of these tares that the enemy has sown. But what are we to look for? This is where Jude begins describing these false teachers so that the church would know what to look out for. Jude 6 and 7. 
and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Angels are creatures made by God to be his messengers. They are to be at his beckoning call and carry out his every command. But it seems here that there are some angels who left their proper dwelling and disobeyed God. Uh, turn with me to a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture, Isaiah 6. Let's go to Isaiah 6. While you're turning there, um, I, we're going to be looking at an angel's job. We're looking at a certain angel's job. This, this is a typical passage that describes the holiness of God, but in it we see angels doing their duty, and I want you to look at that with me. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, <clears throat> and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with a tongue from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Here, these angels are in their proper dwelling, ministering to God. They are doing exactly what God created them to do. They are proclaiming in the temple of the heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of His glory. They are prepared with feet and with wings to go where God commands them to go and do what God commands them to do. They use their angelic voices that shake the foundations of the threshold to proclaim the holiness of God. And let's not forget about the angels in the book of Revelation. These angels pour out plagues, proclaim, eternal, proclaim an eternal gospel, and carry messages to the church. They are doing exactly what they were created to do. And according to Job 1.6, Angels are to give an account to God. Job 1.6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan came with them. How and why these angels left their proper dwelling, we really are not told. All we know for sure is that some angels did leave. There are some biblical scholars who believe these sons of God were angels that left the spiritual realm for the physical and procreated with some women born of men. And from that unholy union are where giants of old came from. 
Other scholars think that these angels are demons that possess humans and bring torment to them. Because they left their place, God has bound them in eternal chains in utter darkness until the great judgment. And not only have angels left their proper place as designed by God, but so do men and women. Jude verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Here, Jude, going to Scripture, reminds the church of the abhorrent sin of homosexuality. In this account, the Lord sends two angels to Sodom to rescue Lot and his family from the coming destruction of the city and its inhabitants. These two angels enter the city, uh, and Lot convinces them to stay with him and his family at his home. He prepares them a meal, and they eat it. And here's what happens next, beginning in Genesis 19.4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to breaking down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Jude is not saying that these false teachers who have crept into the church are necessarily practicing homosexuality. What he is saying is that they, like the angels, have left God's order and commands to serve their own flesh and unnatural desires. Thus, they are already condemned. Not only do these false teachers reject God's authority and defile the flesh, but Jude says they are dreamers. Look at what he says here beginning in verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuked you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. If we take another quick look back at verse 3, we see Jude appealing to the church to fight for something. He is telling them to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is this faith that has been delivered? It's the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is the inspired, 
inerrant, infallible, and sufficient Word of God. When we talk of sola scriptura, we are saying that Scripture is the final authority for all Christians in all manners of faith and practice. Scripture is authoritative because it is God-breathed. It is in His revealed Word that the divine author of Scripture reveals His sovereignty over all things. It is the Scripture that tells us who God is and what He requires of us. Jude says that these false teachers rely on their dreams. They neglect the Word of God. They neglect it because they do not understand it. By neglecting the Word of God and relying on their dreams, they are destroyed. As I was reading this, I was reminded of some things that I've heard preachers and evangelists and even teachers in churches say. And I wondered if these false teachers heard something similar. And I'm certain you've probably heard something very equivalent. Something like this. I had a sermon ready today, but as we were singing, the Lord spoke to my heart and told me I'm supposed to preach this instead. What these people are really saying is that God's written word is insufficient. So I'll tell you what he has to say. If this were true, and it's not, then what we are hearing and what these people are hearing should be written down in the Bible because it is the word of God. These people are out of their minds because the Bible itself has a thing or two to say about adding to it or subtracting from it. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the command commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Revelation 22.18 and 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the word of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Brothers, men, if you are ever visiting a church and you hear someone say, the Lord told me, stand up, gather up your family, <coughs> excuse me, and walk out. Do not allow this kind of blasphemy to be taught to your wife and your children. Jude goes on to give uh, vivid descriptions of false teachers. He says they blaspheme the glorious ones. In other words, they, they rebuke Satan and demons for show. Uh, Jude said that not even Michael the archangel did that to Satan when contending with him about the body of Moses. False teachers are absolutely ignorant about spiritual warfare. Woe to them, Jude says in, in, in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 11, we read that these false teachers walked in the way of Cain. 
Genesis records the first murder in history. Cain murdered his own brother Abel. Cain was a sinful man given to anger, and that anger boiled over into murder, the taking of innocent life. False teachers take and keep taking, even to the detriment of others' well-being and livelihood. He goes on to say that, uh, that these creeps also do what they do for money. Uh, Balaam was a greedy and wicked prophet. He used his gifts as a way to make money. Though Balaam was a wicked prophet, he was still a real prophet who spoke God's words. The book of Numbers records his resume in chapters 22, 23, and 24. Balaam was offered payment from Balak, uh, the king of Moab, if he would come and prophesy a curse on the Israelites. However, God would not permit Balaam to curse the Israelites. Instead, Balaam was to speak a blessing for the Israelites. And Balaam was so greedy that he tried three times to curse these people. And all three times, he, only, he was only allowed to bless the people of God. The king of Moab was furious with Balaam and sent him away empty-handed. So in a last-ditch effort to secure the money, Balaam tells the king to entice the men of Israel with prostitutes and idolatry. In doing this, the people of God fell into the sin of idol worship and committed fornication with Midianite women. This sin caused God to kill 24,000 men by a plague. This is who Jude is comparing these false teachers to. They are also compared to Korah. Korah was a Levite who lived in constant rebellion against Moses and Aaron. This rebellion ultimately brought about the demise and caused the death of those who aligned with him. You can read about him in Numbers 16. And after using scripture, Jude then uses word pictures to help his readers spot false teachers. Jude 12 and 13 say, These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in, wait, in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They're hidden reefs. They lurk under the surface, ready to sink passers-by who are unaware of the danger. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They have no concern for those that they are supposed to be leading. They are self-absorbed gluttons. They are waterless clouds swept along by winds. They have an appearance of life-giving spring rains but they're only a dust storm that leaves behind a mess for others to clean up. They are fruitless trees, twice dead, uprooted. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that a bad tree produces bad fruit and that a good tree produces good fruit. He goes on to say that we will know false prophets by their fruit. Matthew seven sixteen through 18. Here, Jude says that these guys are past even producing bad fruit. They are completely dead. They have nothing nourishing to offer. They are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Like a tsunami, false teachers bring devastation and destruction. They swallow up everything within reach and leave behind a nasty mess like a natural disaster. 
He says that they are wandering stars. False teachers are like a shooting star that grabs our attention. They blaze bright for a short time, only to vanish away forever. A traveler in the wilderness sets his course and knows which way he is going by looking into the night sky and finding the north star. Wandering stars and false teachers alike lead people astray. He says in verse 14, It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. These teachers are ungodly in everything they do. Even their supposed kindness is really only surface deep. Their conviction is certain, and the Lord will execute His judgment upon them. Here Jude is quoting a prophecy attributed to Enoch. There are multiple schools of thought about where Jude quotes from, since this prophecy is not recorded anywhere in Scripture. Most likely, he is quoting from the extra-biblical book of Enoch. Enoch 1.9 is almost an exact word-for-word match to Jude 14 and 15. The book of Enoch was quite possibly one of the sources that these false teachers were using to mislead the church. So by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jude is using their own scriptures against them. He quotes, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones, and one day the Lord will return. There are many differing uh, opinions within Christianity about the second coming of Christ and how, uh, what it entails and how it will unfold. There are post-millennial, pre-millennial, and amillennial distinctives. Some think that Jesus raptures His church before a seven-year tribulation. Others think it will be after, or still others think that it could be during the tribulation. Some Christians hold to a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on David's throne, while others believe Scripture about the tribulation and the thousand-year reign are to be taken figuratively. Though there are differing interpretations on the details surrounding the second coming of Christ within Christianity, there is still one thing that we all have in common. We all believe that one day Jesus Christ is returning for His church. Yes. And when He comes, He will judge the whole earth. Here in verse 14, Jude says that Christ will convict all the ungodly. The word translated as convict in our English translation comes from a Greek word that means to expose or to prove guilty. The Lord will lay out His case against them proving that they are worthy of a guilty verdict. Just what exactly are these people guilty of? They are guilty of being unregenerate. Their unbelief will be exposed. They are false teachers peddling a false gospel. Jesus talks about them in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this from Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Jude says that everything about them is ungodly. Their deeds are ungodly. Their motives are ungodly. Their works are ungodly. And their mouths spew ungodly words. They are exposed and prove themselves unregenerate by their fruit. Verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude describes them as grumblers. In doing so, he reminds his audience of, of those Israelites that had left Egypt in the Exodus and were subsequently destroyed by the Lord. The grumbling Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, men chosen by God to lead them. But in truth, they were murmuring against God. Let me read to you from Genesis, or excuse me, from Exodus 16, uh, verses 6 and 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord uh, gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, uh, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. Why do these false teachers grumble? Because like the Israelites during the Exodus, they are malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are never content with what they have. They selfishly desire more. They boast and show favoritism to gain advantage. <clears throat> In his book, The Apologist, uh, excuse me, The Last Apologist, Rob Phillips says this, describing grumblers. Despite being well-fed, celebrated, and even uh, preferred, the false teachers want more. They cannot find contentment because they seek to fulfill spiritual voids in their life with fleshly comforts, thus revealing their true nature as unregenerate grumblers. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were not content. <clears throat> they had added uh, to the commands of God their own traditions and uh, through a temper tantrum when their traditions were not followed. In Matthew 15, uh, Matthew records a confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees who were grumbling about the disciples not washing their hands. They complained that they were breaking the traditions of the elders. After correcting them, Jesus taught those who saw the interaction, and this is what he said. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, <clears throat> murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. After spending a large portion of this letter helping the church know how to spot false teachers, Jude turns his focus toward genuine Christian living. 
Follow along in verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Back in verse 3, Jude was making an appeal to the church to contend and to wrestle and to fight for the faith. Here in verse 21, he tells us how to fight the fight. Keep yourselves in the love of God. These words are bracketed and surrounded by several verses explaining what it means to keep yourself in this love of God. These are words just as relevant for us today as they were when they were first written 2,000 years ago. Now remember, Jude is writing to the elect of God. Uh, remember in verse 1, to those who are called, to those who are beloved, and those who are kept. Church, this is us. God loves us and has loved us since before He created us. Ephesians 1, 3-6 tells us this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be blameless and holy before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. What's so amazing about God's love towards us is that it's eternal. The triune God chose to love us in eternity past. He loves us now, and He will continue to love us for all eternity. There is no end to God's love, because God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 When Jude says to keep yourself in the love of God, He's not suggesting that we could do anything to cause, to cause God, uh, lo His love for us to, do, to decrease. Nor is He saying that we could cause God's love for us to increase. He is saying that as the beloved of God, we should operate our lives within the sphere of God's love. In living and operating in this sphere, we are to remember that we will always have to deal with people who are devoid of the Spirit. These are worldly people who cause divisions. These kinds of people have always been around, and they will be here until Christ returns. But we must be patient, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the fact that the Lord is long-suffering and has not yet returned ought to tell us that he still has lost sheep who have yet to be brought into the fold. Therefore, we have a job to do. Verses 22 and 23 say, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. John MacArthur writes, Those who pose the greatest threat to the church also constitute part of its mission field. Church, we cannot just build a wall around ourselves for protection. We must put on the full armor of God and engage in the battle. Ephesians 6.12 Jude writes of three kinds of people that false teachers have fooled and how we as the church are to deal with them. First, Jude says to have mercy on those who doubt. These doubters are most likely new or immature believers who have been misled. They lack biblical knowledge. They have yet to move from the milk and graduate to the meat. Either way, they are confused and need our tender patience and help. Second, Jude says that there are those who need to be snatched out of the fire. There is no patience or gentleness for these believers. They have become comfortable with unbiblical teaching. There is a very real sense of urgency here. Warren Wiersbe writes that Christians in this dangerous prediction uh, are like this. The angel took Lot out of the hand and pulled him out of Sodom. And sometimes that must be done in order to rescue these ignorant and unstable believers from the clutches of false teachers. Third, Jude tells of others who are to be shown mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There are some who have strayed so far from orthodoxy that they are completely heretical. These people deny the deity of Christ and proclaim a false gospel. These are true unbelievers who, when shown their error, deny the inerrancy of Scripture. We are to pray for these lost souls and tell them of the truth of Jesus, but we are to do so cautiously to keep from being drawn into their heresy. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let anyone who stands take heed lest he fall. The church is to lovingly point out to these people uh, Jesus the same way, or excuse me, at the same time, hating and exposing their heresy. We have a commission from the Lord to fulfill. If you have been granted the grace to come to Christ, you have a job to do, and it's not optional. You are to fight for the faith. The God who has called you is the God who loves you and the God who keeps you. You will not fail with Him holding on to you. Go fight the good fight. Dear one, if you are here and you do not know this eternal loving God, call out to Him today. This message is as much for you as it is for the rest of us. If you have been fooled by smooth and crafty talkers and have followed after a false Jesus, Hear what Jesus has to say to you in Mark 1:15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Dear one, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.